Today I welcome Heath Monk, CEO at the British School in the Netherlands. In this episode, I discuss Brexit, leading a new school abroad, COVID impact on teaching standards, and the cultural benefits of international education. Anyway, it's, it's, it's really great to finally meet you. Yes, yeah. I mean, because I, 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 I passed and never crossed, actually, in, in, in all the years of, of, of me being in, in this marketplace and you being in education, you being this side. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really great to finally meet you. No, good. You too. Yeah, I heard a lot about you. Yeah, oh, cool. <laughs> all good. Yeah, 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 crikey. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've got a real fondness for the BSM, the British School Nellers. I always have done. I yeah, think. yeah. It's an incredible school. Um, and it's an incredible school with a really true and unique identity. It's also the largest international school in Europe. What's it like to be in command of such a school at the size of that? Yeah, it's an inter- I mean, it's, it's, I, command's an interesting word yeah. in a school like this because... Um, I say it doesn't really feel like command. I mean, I think actually what you're trying to do is to, to influence and move things along, but it's such a, a large school, you know, yeah, well over 2,000 students. And it's been an interesting six months in terms of um, COVID. So I haven't actually been able to, to get into the schools and meet as many people as I'd like because we've been working under restrictions the, the whole time. But I think it's that, that sense that... Um, uh, Big schools take a long time to change. You know, they're not, they're not quick. And, and you are kind of moving pieces around and, and hoping that things are going in the right direction rather than a sense that you feel kind of in control of the whole thing. Yeah, and you've obviously come from um, managing a number of, a, a large number of schools under the Academy Trust. Is, mm. is it model very different because it, it's still really one school, but with lots of campuses? Yeah, it, it, it feels very similar, actually, in terms of a multi-academy trust. I mean, it's a, it'd be a smaller than the multi-academy trust that I, I led in Birmingham, which had, had nine academies. But you've got the, um, the hugely different cultures and, and attitudes and buildings. So all those things that mean that, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to get that balance between what do we do together as one school and where do you allow the, the campuses to develop their own practice and to go their own way? which is something that always happens and, you know, working with heads, you know, that a school becomes um, an, an image in some senses of a head and, and you don't want to lose that because that's one of its strengths. But at the same time, you're trying to say, well, but on these things, we need to be consistent. So I think the challenge is always finding, you know, where, where are you, where are you the same or where are you different? Yeah, because every school needs its own identity. Um, yet, you yeah. know, when, when you're, you know, a, 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 the, the, obviously the preps, school side of things the junior school side and then you get to the senior school you know they they are different in 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 the way that the um that the communities are different but also yeah yeah is different is it important that each school does have its own identity as well as adhere to obviously a bigger wider yeah i think that's really important and i think otherwise what you 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 can end up doing is disempowering your leaders if you're saying that you have to do everything in exactly the same way you know that kind of branch mentality where you know every time you go to mcdonald's you get exactly the same burger um doesn't necessarily allow heads to be heads um and you miss out potentially on some of the innovations and, and and nuances that you get from from really kind of the creativity that, that schools bring with them. So it's, it's, so it's, that, it's that balance. And I think it, the, the, the sort of soul of the BSN is not one that's about conformity 
um, you know, it's a, it, it's a school that welcomes innovation, that welcomes creativity. So you've got to uh, allow for that, I think, in, in the different campuses. Yeah. Um, I found a video of you saying that when running more than one school, the job changes. You know, you, you're not head teachers anymore. Yeah. You become CEOs. Tell me more about this. Yeah, it's we. I mean, I used to run a, a program for for heads who have taken on that role, and it was the, one of the first things we said. And I think that it, it as a head, um, heads tell me that you know you can have an idea in the shower in the morning, and by four thirty that afternoon, you're well on the way to implementing it. You've got that kind of, you know, um, control of your space as a head that you can make things happen. I think as a CEO, I mean, the big change is about the pace. You know, and what you can do quickly and how long it takes to bring, uh, in my case, five different campuses. You know, you want to do this, but how do you get five different campuses to see that? And what does that mean for them? And how do they, they feed back into that? So, as you say, you're not kind of crushing that sense of um, individuality about the campuses, but, but, you know, moving them forward to where you want to get to. Um, are all heads cut out for a CEO role? I don't think so. Um, I don't know. It's, I mean, if, if you look at the academy movement in the UK, it's kind of a mixed picture, I think. And it, it's, it does require a, a change of mindset um, that, you know, and, and quite often heads sort of a bit like boiling frogs, really. I don't want to boil heads. That's a, <laughs> but slowly, you know, they, they become an executive head. So they've got two schools and that works well. So then they get three and then they get four. And there's a tipping point at which the role changes. And not everyone's suited for that because it's it's less hands on, you know. I don't I don't get the same amount of time in classrooms and, and working with children that you might do as a head. So some of the things that that energise heads you don't necessarily get to do as a CEO. Um, so it's a it's a different job, and I think it, it you know people need to to really kind of mentally prepare themselves for that shift. Yeah, and do you feel there's a danger that schools will become more corporate by using corporate? Um, language, roles, titles, and less education focus, or is that really not a problem? Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I think my job is to keep that out of the, the from out of the heads is you know, so the heads don't have to worry about that stuff. I mean, I think that's a big part of the CEO um, role is that you're doing some corporate things in terms of governance and finance and and HR, um, so that the heads can focus on teaching and learning that's what we you know that's what they're employed to do really and that's why they, they they became heads in the most part so hopefully you get that separation and that's why i said i think it's it's important that the corporate um stops at the school gate so that the school retains that sense of individuality and and, and um you know freedom to some extent within a within a corporate entity that maximizes the you know the use of resources and and other things What's been the hardest thing for you um, since you started? Because you know we've we've had this this global pandemic um, that that is going to be with us for for a while yet, and probably is never going to leave us. So we're going to shift in yeah. terms of the way that we manage it within what we do normally. How what's probably been the hardest thing for you in adjusting to a new role, a new country, um, a, a new suite of of heads and and scores? What's what's been the hardest thing? I think dealing with that that you know the the short-term challenges of the pandemic so you know I, I started in in August and we had our first case at the BSN of COVID in kind of mid-September so you know you're, you're straight into 
protocols and quarantines and, and, and communication around that and, and taking the various different measures, keeping in touch with Dutch government changes as, as the regulations shift over the course of, of last term and, and early this year. So balancing all that kind of urgent stuff with the need to get to know the organisation and start to, to think about the long-term strategic goals. And obviously that's you know, hugely affected by COVID as well. Um, you know, in, in terms of um, a school like the BSN, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, an expat community. Um, and we know that a lot of the companies that employ our parents are thinking about remote working in the future, thinking, do we have to bring people into the Hague? How do we use their time differently so all of that 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 you know there, there are long-term things and there are short-term things i think what i found um challenging is kind of that you know the 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 breaking waves of short-term crises caused by covid yeah um and you know you're you're right to bring up the the challenges of of, of your kind of local community um you know the expats and and the way your where your families come from so let's talk a little bit about brexit because brexit brexit has finally happened and you know what has been the impact and what will it have for the british international schools in europe yeah i mean i think we found uh, a number of things i mean firstly just thinking in terms of employing staff and the extra hoops that we have to, to go through um, to bring teachers in from the UK, uh, you know, making sure they've got right to work, making sure they've got residency visas and all of that, that adds a bit of cost and bureaucracy and time into that process. It doesn't make it impossible, just makes it, it more difficult. Um, I think we were, you know, what we've seen is, um, and there's been lots of press reports about the number of companies moving to the Netherlands. Um, you know, long term, I think that could be a, a, a good thing for us. In the short term, that doesn't tend to be about moving staff. It's often, you know, we, we've got a base in the Netherlands now, we're doing some of our activities from the Netherlands, but still the, the, you know, the main part of our company is in the UK. So I think that the levels of, of potential movement in haven't happened. The other big change I think we've seen is, is in terms of um, access to universities. So, uh, you know, traditionally, um, you know, the majority of our, our school leavers have gone to UK universities. That probably won't be the case this year. Uh, if, you're, if you're an EU national, uh, the fees that you've got to pay, suddenly home fees are, are not what you're paying. You're paying the, the international fees. And that's a big disincentive to, to go to a UK university. And that, that changes quite a lot for us, um, what people are looking for, for the, the pathways out of out of um, secondary education into higher education yeah and uh, the the complexities of a of an international school or a british international school or a british school within within europe is difficult anyway because you are balancing many tides of you know whether or not there is inward investment you've got employers moving there there's the expats or you know there, there's businesses that can sustain and have the families that are going to come you've obviously been thrown into the mix with with Brexit that's going to be, as you say, there's loads more red tape now. Um, mm. Parents don't care about that at the oh. end of the day, do they? And, you know, they want their, their child to go to the right school, the best school that's going to educate them. So you've got more red tape, you've got more administration. Um, have you seen an impact on, on companies staying? Um, or have you seen companies leaving that have traditionally been a, a backbone of BSN? We haven't seen, I mean, we, you know, one of our, one of our big clients is Shell and obviously Shell are going through some, from some challenging times in, in terms of their own business. We haven't seen companies leaving. I think what we're seeing is, is companies look at their um, employment 
provisions and employment practices in terms of what they're offering um, families. So we're seeing you know, fewer companies that are moving away from 100% subsidised places to, you know, we'll provide some subsidy, but the parents top that up. So I think it's a, a change in employment terms. As I said, I think the biggest um, issue for the future is whether companies then decide to relocate people or to let them work where they are given the experience of the last you know six nine months where people have worked from home and it hasn't you know in, in many cases productivity has gone up rather than down so you know I, I can see a lot more companies thinking that that's a model that can can work for a, you know a large part of their workforce i hope you're enjoying the inspiring schools podcast we're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them if you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Do you still see a, a positive future for British international schools in Europe? Oh, absolutely, yeah, I think, I think so. I think um, there, you know, there, there are features of, of what I think not just us, but the British international schools across Europe do that I think people value. And, and you know, it, it's about, it, it may be a slightly more competitive environment. It may be like challenging for a few years, but I think the schools that, that can weather those challenges and actually learn from them and think about how we alter our practice and what we do um, will, will be in good position in the long term. Yeah, and do, you, and do you think education is on pause right now? Because it's very difficult to, to, to grow education. And, you know, I've got, I've got four kids and my, my eldest two are in those, those, those two years, one doing GCSEs, one doing A-levels. Um, and so they, I know that they have missed out on a huge amount of content and it's not the same doing it remotely. But even as you go down the year groups, we're almost going to have a, a lost year. Do you think that education needs to reset and everyone starts again? yeah 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 it's quite hard to think how you would do that um and it's you know i think it that there are some questions we need to ask ourselves i think as an education system about um how that content fits alongside the you know the goals of education so um what it is that children are really going to need when they come back having been isolated for you know, in some cases, you know, months at a time um, without seeing their friends or being part of their peer groups. And, and you know, there, there does seem to be a, a rush in the UK at the moment to think about there's this, we've missed this much content and now we need to have more time to fill it back up. I'm not sure that's the right way to think about it. I think, I think we should be thinking about, you know, where do we want these children to get to um, and what's the best way of getting them there? And certainly for us, I mean, I think there's a conversation that, that, you know we need to have as a school and as a system about the use of time um and you know what 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 actually matters about when children are together in school because we've always taken that for granted you know you get them at, at 8 30 in the morning they leave at 3 30 in the afternoon and you do stuff between those those hours and then you know maybe they do some other things after that but i think it, it's made certainly made me think about how precious those hours are and how do we use them to the best possible effect? Given that we've now, you know, we've all become skilled at, at Zoom and Microsoft Teams and, and, and working remotely in a way that, you know, you wouldn't have thought possible a year ago. Yeah, I, agree. I I'd never used Teams, you know. I knew it was yeah. there, but up until March last year, it was like this mysterious yeah. thing that, you know. <laughs> 
I know. And, you know, you think about the way that schools have had to adapt, your teachers have had to adapt um, to be able to kind of go. It's something quite alien because that, that's not their, their natural stage to perform their craft. Mm. And so we're, you know, there, there's, there's been a huge amount as well from a professional development support that's needed. Have you found that your teachers have responded well to remote learning um, and, have had, had, and have you had to put in lots more support and training just to make sure that they, they are capable of doing it? Yeah, they have. I mean, I think generally, yes, it's, 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 it's been an iterative process. I think what we're doing now um, wouldn't have been conceivable back in, in March, April, when the, the Dutch system closed down. And, and certainly there's, you know, the, the dialogue we've had with parents has been really important in, in shaping that provision, um, in, in shaping the expectations. But in, yeah, in, in staff kind of finding that community about sharing tips and sharing ideas and I've tried this. So it hasn't been actually as much formal, here's CPD. Um, they've kind of thrown in at the deep end very much. And, and you know learn to work together to, to make the best of the tools that are available I mean we're, we were fortunate as a school in that, that you know we've got the equipment um, our secondary age children have uh, surface pros so you know that's a that's a really big benefit um, we've not been struggling with kind of um, trying to get the right devices into into children's hands but yeah it's a massive learning curve and you know if you if you went back and said well in a year's time our whole teaching workforce will be adept at, at running live lessons on Microsoft Teams. You'd have, you know, that, that would have been a huge undertaking to do. And yet, you know, here we are. Um, there are still things that, that we can and that we need to improve about remote learning. But, you know, the, 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 the next step is to think, what do we take from what we've learned to use all the time that becomes part of how we do things, even, even you know, if the pandemic ever goes. Yeah, and you know the mandatory introduction of remote learning has been a positive step forward um, for changing the way education is delivered. But your point, you know, what are we going to take forward, or is this just a temporary thing that we're just kind of getting through, or are we going to use this as a real catalyst to fundamentally change the way that education is delivered? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's you know for me that's that question about what is it that we do when we have children face to face in a building together that makes the biggest difference. Given that we're, there's now lots of things that we can do um, without needing them to be in the same place, um, you know, I, I mean certainly we've talked about things like parents' evenings. Um, you know, online parents' evenings are an absolute joy. I think for for staff and parents. Um, you know, avoiding that kind of queuing system where it's, uh, shall I go for the chemistry teacher, but he's running 10 minutes late, but the French teacher seems to be on time. I'll dodge it. You know, that just avoiding that to have a system where it kind of works and it's much more convenient for parents. It's easier for staff. I mean, again, that, that was something that, you know, you, you consider things that otherwise would seem impossible and now they've become normal. So, yeah. so which of those do we keep and which do we say, you know, we'll, we had to do that in the pandemic, but now we, you know, thank thank goodness we're back in in school. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Your your predecessor was a big thinker on the future school. W what are your visions for the British School of the Netherlands? Yeah, I, I, I saw this. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I got asked this by some some of our sixth form um, who were doing a, a piece for the local paper. I mean, I I think it's. I mean, I always felt for me that that my role is coming in and shaping what's already there, rather than 
this is where I want to go. So, you know, we've been starting a process and, and one of my aims for this year was to um, talk to our community, to talk to our parents, to find out kind of what they wanted. Um, and, and the pandemic actually, has, I think, has really helped us um, to focus, comes back to your question earlier about the learning loss. You know, what is it that we want for our children? And how do we build that at the heart of a BSN vision about, you know, given what we've been through, what are the experience, the skills, the knowledge that we want our children to have when they leave, whether that's, you know, after two years or after 13 years in the system? And how do we build ourselves around providing that? Yeah, and yeah, knowledge, you know, talk, talk, talk about knowledge. I mean, data information is a commodity like all now. Um, and it is, you know, it's accessible um, for anybody 24-7 on any device. So, you know, my, my point and my kind of load of question about content is because I think that, that that's the one that's raising headlines. But when we are trying to reshape what education looks like, we need to, again, the skills base, the character base, people, you can feel content is accessible. Do we need all that content, you know, or is it really just a bit archaic and old fashioned? And actually we should be using this time to get our kids thinking creative, you know, creatively, you know, critically thinking, you know, how do they, you know, they are very adaptable anyway. Um, so yeah. maybe that's the, the answer. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a role for, there is a role for content and knowledge. Absolutely. Because I think that that's the, that's the foundation of, of, you know, skills are built on an understanding of you know domain specific knowledge if you want to call it that but i think for me the question is how do you deliver that um in the most efficient way given we've now got lots of online tools for doing that so you know the when we've got children together that that's when the the problem solving the creativity the collaboration the teamwork can flourish it's much harder you know doing doing a kind of creative team building session on teams is not easy um, yeah. even with the new breakout rooms feature but that you know that's what we should be using our class time for and for exploring i think more you know and, and we're certainly looking at the range of extracurricular activities um the things that that help children develop as individuals and that give them the motivation to to come back to that content and learn it um how do you see the educational landscape shifting in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, um, I mean, I think one of the things that, that is under huge pressure at the moment is clearly the reliance on exams, you know, and, and, and having had now two years um, where, where the exam system in the, in the UK certainly hasn't gone ahead and, and in most places around the world, I think that, that British reliance on a, a, a summative test um, I think will change. And, and obviously that has repercussions all the way through the curriculum. Um, because I think those models of assessment that rely on set piece endpoints, if they go, there's much more flexibility about the way that learn, learning is organized and scheduled over the course of a, a child's kind of progression through education. So you know, that, that's what I think is, I think there's some exciting possibilities there. Um, I think it's, it's really important that we don't just revert to when this pandemic is over, let's carry on exactly as we were doing before and not learn from it. Yeah, yeah, reverting, reverting to types easy um, because yeah. it, it's just a normal human trait. It, that, that's comfortable, that's what I know. Um, let, let's go back to doing it. So, but we're gonna require you know, leaders like you, schools like yours to be able to drive this. 
Now, the BSN has always been seen as a very forward-thinking, innovative school. Um, what plans do you have in terms of maintaining that, that position at the forefront of, of education? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think we um, certainly we've got our um, International Leadership Academy, uh, which has done some excellent work and continues to do some excellent work through these, these challenging times. And I think that's where, uh, you know, uh, that for us, um, it's, it's being able to identify what are the things that, that we are doing really well and how do we work within a, a European community of schools to share those as, as best we can. Is there anything that the UK schools can learn from international schools that you feel that they're a little bit behind in? Um, <laughs> languages are really important to us. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that um, MFL uh, has not flourished. Um, you know, the, it's been a real struggle in, in terms of the, the EBAC expectations um, numbers of, of children entering for languages. I think that that commitment to internationalism and commitment to languages from a young age is something I think UK schools would, would benefit from. I don't I don't think you know I look back at, at my schools in Birmingham and, and you know we, we could done, we could have done a lot more on MFL. And do you think that's a, a recruiting um, issue with the teachers or is it not enough time in the curriculum that's outdated or is it a mix of everything? Yeah, it's a mix of it's a mix of both. I mean, I, I know from my days in Birmingham, recruiting teachers was really hard. You haven't got the you haven't got the space in the curriculum, so you, you know we we often you're picking kind of one language and, and placing all your bets on that, and then suddenly you find that you can't find a, a German teacher, you can't find a Spanish teacher, and Brexit has had an impact, I suspect, on on the availability of of, of EU nationals who are wanting to work in the the UK. Um, so there is a there is a recruitment challenge and yeah i think i think curriculum time i mean the the, the focus on english and maths has a risk of reducing the curriculum in the uk and, and that's something that you know i think we always in, were, were committed in, in birmingham when my school was there to you know even if we had two for french a level we're going to keep going because if you don't if you lose french a level you lose french gcse and suddenly that's part of your your curriculum that's permanently diminished yeah, um, I, I completely agree with with the languages, um, and I can also put it down to, um, you know, from a UK point of view, is you know we, we can get easy translations done. You know, there's there's loads of apps. There's, there's so many things that facilitate laziness that that make it easier to go. Do you know what? I'm not. It's it's a little bit harder. Um, and what I've noticed as well, and this is more a personal reflection, is that when when my each of my children have decided to drop a subject it's a hundred percent down to the teacher is not inspiring we're never going to get a hundred percent inspiring teachers um, but maybe the shift to online the shift to being able to do remote learning is going to create this vacuum of really inspirational content performers you know in the in, in the languages in any of the in any of the subjects that hopefully is going to give us this lift that we need to drive some of those subjects that aren't um, maybe yeah. flourishing as much as they, they can do. Do you see that being a role moving forward that we all get these inspirations? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a, as a school, you have to look um, 
as well at, at the kind of financial challenges of, of, of small subjects. You know, if you're teaching a level class of five, you're making a loss. Um, if you're teaching a GCSE class of 10, you're making a loss. And, and when budgets are tight, particularly in the UK state sector, that, that drives choices. And so, as you said, the opportunity for schools to say, well, we can't, we can't afford a French teacher, but actually we can do something online and our, our children are experienced at doing that. Um, they, you know, they've done it for months. And we, you know, I think there is a possibility there to look at the, the breadth of the curriculum. It doesn't have to be just all in one, under one roof and in one building. I think we could be more expansive about, about some subjects to, to give children that choice. Yeah, and, and that to me is the exciting thing that will hopefully yeah. come out yeah. of this is you know that my, my child if they're not inspired with who they've got that they should be able to pick and mix and choose and go you know maybe choose one of the the, the, the French teachers that are at the BSN you know so suddenly you, you know that because they have that passion I just you don't want that that light that flame sort of burnt out because suddenly it's just circumstance chance and just where my and where my kids mm. are you can connect with me on Twitter Instagram and via LinkedIn Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.